With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, you guys. Welcome to a different mini pass. This is the um, personal memoirs. We're going to start out a little differently this time. I want to try to keep this as positive as possible because this is a very dark topic. And it's a hard conversation to have, but it's something that I'm willing to talk about more and more if it helps other people because it's something we have to communicate with. Like the pharmaceutical companies, uh, medic, like the medical fields, <sighs> there's just so much to say about uh, those type of topics. And it's really actually majority not so good. You know, the more <clears throat> I listen to people and listen to people empathize and also see my own experience and also my ancestors, you know, it's kind of a fact of our medical field's gotten too big. So I'm going to take this in different parts. First, we're going to talk about uh, the like how, like what my experiences have been, um, just to show you a little bit about you know, just the simple stuff of why I see the things I see. And I'll just name a few things. And then we'll talk about what I have been doing when I've gone through like a positive situation before we get in the dark nitty gritty and some of the stories. So let's start. Um, so uh, if you guys don't know me, I uh, came from Wisconsin. It's where my ancestors are from. That's where my family's from my uh, mom's side of the family and my my biological father's side of the family. My mom's of the family has uh, my great grandpa, uh, Grandpa Fisher, who was my, my grandma's dad, was a well-known doctor. Um, he did a lot of work in Siemens Point. He went to school right before, I guess, if, quote me if I'm wrong, but right before the Rockefellers took over the medical industry and did what they did and made it like this big you know, income-driven standards and stuff like that. And I'll try to give you some, you know, as time progresses and we do more podcasts, I'll give you some stories and some things that come together. But my grandpa was a home doctor. He did it out of his cottage in, um, you know, in Pike Lake in Wisconsin. He would take vegetables and fruits for payments to do cheap pulls and everything like that. He went to school. He was educated. But he the, at the time, they didn't have the standards of what they have now. And I remember uh, talking to my aunts, and they were saying by the time everything started transitioning over to what they have now, they would send VHS tapes, and he would have to watch them to keep up to code or whatever it's called. And he they remember once as there was a VHS where – this is just a funny story, but he put it – 
VHS about farting uh, in the VHS, and you could hear him cracking up, like, in the closet <laughs> about the video. And I guess one of them said is that they were witnessing, like, him came, coming out, and he was like, I can't believe I had to watch that to keep my, my doctor's license going. And so, it, like, that's where, you know, what he, t- like... I don't know, maybe it's still my blood where it comes to down to like the human beings of aspects. Like he listened to people. Mind you, personally, he had some issues like, you know, he cheated on my great grandma. You know, that's that's nothing to do with how he was as a human being when it comes to his practice and how he treated his patients. Um, but he loved uh, Grandma Fisher. He loved her a lot. I know they went through some rough patches and it wasn't just all on his side, but it doesn't give you an excuse to cheat you guys. Like no excuses in my book. When you say you cheated, I judge you. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely was something that I, um, you know, I, I look up towards, you know, to see how he does business. He was an old school business. He had a good practice downtown at Stevens Point, but also um, down all his doctor stuff was at, you know, the cottage as well. And they, my mom and my aunts would tell me how people would come and go just to get checked up about anything. He did everything about a local doctor. But right when things started changing was how he was like, ah, it's almost time for me to retire because it, things weren't just done the way they, how you know, the personal level. And as we get older um, and I'm listening to people and I see things firsthand and people start coming to me about advice with ADHD and ADHD medication, which I'm honored. Um, all I can do is really give them my own experience and my firsthand knowledge of what I've seen and what I recommend but also who I've listened to you because I've been through it and you'll, you'll understand why. So, uh, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. We are vaccinated in my family. I understand why a lot of people get mixed up with vaccines and, and prescription medications. Understand there's a difference. Vaccines are supposed to, is a one-time, uh, maybe every two, three years. Yes, we should know what's in those vaccines. You should not be joking at people asking for, hey, what is in them? Because they are putting in your body. Like there's times where you do put the flu shot in you and you feel worse even longer than, you know, not having the flu shot. And you may not get the flu it's a risk you got to take but polio we're trying to stop that so maybe we should take the polio vaccine and why it was there and the people that have seen it you know there's a lot of things to talk about but the prescription um side of things is what i'm talking about through this podcast um i do know some anti-vaxxers because again i'm homeschooling uh we run into them all the time they're a blessing i have asked them because i'm more curious i don't want to judge them i want to know why 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 do you do this because it's a different life than i am why not question but not to judge but to understand like why are we doing this is lack of knowledge a lot of them have knowledge you guys um a lot of them had personal experience where their kid had a vaccine and they end up in the hospital for a long time after that vaccine you have to remember our bodies are all different like just because your reaction to one thing doesn't mean that reaction is that that thing and the neat thing is our medicate medical records are all private it's none of your darn business and for some reason our society thinks we can like judge each other and sit there and, and just like when it comes to um, abortion, women's health, like it's like people want to sit there and dictate how you're supposed to do your health care when that's a private matter between you and your physician. But also keep in mind, um, you know, we have to sit there and understand that the pharmaceuticals 
healthcare system, insurance companies, it's all a big business. It's big money making. So you have to understand that, you know, we don't, I don't know, I personally, it's, it can be a political topic as well, and we'll talk more about it. But this is a tough conversation. This is many different ways. I see them all kind of interconnected. Um, we do have to separate some like vaccines and prescription drugs. I'm not talking about vaccines at all in this conversation. I'm talking about the pharmaceutical fields when it comes to prescription drugs, ADHD, anxiety, mood disables, um, borderline personality, like any medication, even Adderall, like headache medication, like anything like that, high, like high cholesterol, um, diabetes medication. You know, there's stuff there that has bad side effects, but also are there to help you survive. And we shouldn't be afraid of it. But at the same time, it's causing issues all around us. And it's causing issues within our families. It's calling. It's causing addiction. People are doctors are not listening to us. A lot of doctors. They, they, it's so surprising me where how doctors and nurses do not listen to their patients. And I have seen it firsthand, over and over again. I've also seen it where if you come forward and you say something, then you're punished for saying something, and that's not how it should be. It needs to be that, hey, I am coming to you because you are, you went to school for this, you went many years for this, but I also need your empathy and not not just your knowledge, but your empathy. And sit there and say, okay, let's think outside the box. And sadly, with how we're teaching doctors and nurses and how we're handling the business side of things, it's not outside the box and it's very cut and dry and it's not human. And that's where we're causing issues. So as I'm talking about this over and over again, I'm going to refer you to this first podcast so you guys can understand nothing is black and white. Things are so colorful in the medical field, but for some reason, the medical field does not want to be colorful. They see it as a business, and that's what's hurting our environment. It's hurting our people. It's hurting who we are, and it's it's a sad truth. We're not listening to what's going on with your patients' bodies or their minds or who they are. You're just saying, oh, it's a test, you know, just because you do this bubble sheet doesn't mean that's who you are. We're so complex. I mean, even... I mean, think about it. We also have stardust inside of us, you guys. Like, let's just be there. Scientists have found stardust inside of all, all us humans. Let's just be facts. Science sits there and says, oh, we know it all. But then the next week, it's something different. Oh, we were wrong. It's not a sorry. They don't apologize for it. They sit there and, oh, well, we were wrong. And then they just sit there and say, these are the new facts. Well, science <laughs> it's not like that. And for some reason, our medical field, our pharmaceutical fields are saying this is facts when it's not facts. It's experiment. And that's what it comes down to. We are an experiment. Um, there's been stories over and over again. I took, um, I have a minor in psychology. It was, there's so much to this topic that I can go on for days of how the healthcare system has handled us as experiments and how we are, it's just not healthy. And I pray that over time, I don't know, maybe my voice can change it. Maybe somehow along the way, some right person can listen in and say, boy, I never saw it that way. I saw it as a money sign. And now maybe it's right that it's time for us to see it as a human situation because we're having issues with um, prescription drugs, addiction, um, we're losing people, 
because of addiction? And what is the right way of handling a medical issue? Because I'm just not treating my patients like hum humans. I'm seeing this as a moneymaker for my big boat. And it's devastating. And to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure my grandpa is rolling out in his grave with how the medical field has been done. And if we put it all in the Rockefeller's, you know, problem, I guess, I mean, whoever it stems from and how it became, we have to sit there and say, okay, maybe we should have more local doctors instead of these big monstrous businesses. Maybe we should start focusing on the local physician. Um, mind you, the local physician can also hurt you. I mean, if you don't have a good person who's being a doctor, you know, you gotta be you gotta be careful. There's reasons there's standards in place, but at the same time, those standards are failing us as humanity. We're losing the humanity part. If we're gonna have this big national medical process, we need to see the human side of things when it comes to medical, and it's failing in the United States. We are failing it. We're failing our citizens. We're failing who we are it's failed me but it hasn't failed me because I took it and I decided to do things differently so let's start about it um I never was on prescription drugs being younger my mom refused um, she didn't believe I should be on medication uh, they knew I had ADHD we knew it ran in the family we knew we were very creative I was a creative being I was a musician and for some reason our society sits there and says oh you're creative you think and learn differently you're hands-on you can't sit in a desk for long periods of time you just don't remember things exactly but you remember certain like patterns and stuff you learn differently but oh that's not normal so you know we got to put you in these specialty classes <laughs> and um my mom fought against it. It's one thing I love my mom for. Like she was my biggest warrior growing up, but same time she was also a damaging warrior um, at the same time. But I, to be honest with you, I don't want to sit there and um, there's a lot more to it with me and my mom. And we're, we'll talk about my mom and our relationship later, but there's a lot more to it. It takes two both of her and I butted heads, even though she does have narcissist tendencies. Um, but it also want to say narcissism comes from how you were raised. And, um, you know, it's a hard conversation. And so, yeah, well, we, and plus, you know, I was an adult when I started taking medication. So we got to take responsibility for ourselves too. So when it came, I was little, you know, my dad, my biological father would diagnose me on the phones. Um, that's where my anxiety came from because I was never good enough. I was never good enough. And then as I got older, you know, I got picked apart by my mom. No, you know, parents want to do what's right. I'm trying not to empathize, but they do. They were trying their best. I would eat a whole bag of pretzels and she would pick apart my weight. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a tough conversation. And by the time I was a middle school and high schooler, I didn't want to eat. I, I thought I was fat because how my mom treated me, because she also looked at her body not well either. And it's a sad fact. And so I would look at that as well. And so you have this not good enough emotion coming in, if that makes sense. And at that point, um, I went to, you know, I was a horse, uh, I was riding horses. We couldn't f afford a lot when it comes to horses. I never was able to compete like other girls were going to compete. I was not getting boyfriends. You know, I was um, a tomboy. I just didn't understand why you need to put makeup on. I cried when you got dolls. Like, I just didn't get it. But it was not the norm at the time in the early 90s. It was not the norm. I was an exception to what this perfect little girl was supposed 
supposed to be. And I was a disappointment, to be honest with you. I just saw things differently. I remember when I was four, I told my mom that I hear things in my head. And she's like, oh, don't tell that to people because they're going to think you need a psych ward. I just real, I just, I felt things deeper. Like I just felt things deeper. Listen, my grandma was a psychic. Do you guys understand? Like there's things that we feel deeper. Um, my mom was already very in tune with nature. You know, my grandmas are very in tune with nature. You know, it's, it's a hard conversation, but at the same time, there's a norm of having these standards of, oh, you shouldn't be that way. Or we shouldn't sit there and appreciate that you feel for people bigger than most people or that I'm not similar to other people. I'm just a different, unique person. And we should just appreciate that. And let me go on my way and let me create, let me be me. And it was hard. It was hard being in this box. And when I went to music, um, you know, I had big daddy issues. And uh, at that point, my, uh, you know, my band directors became like my father figures. And then, um, you know, I was not part of the cool kids crowd. I was not in academic AP classes. I was in the normal general ads with people that smoked a lot of pot and <laughs> were like, you know, acing through school with C's. Um, but I was, all, I did very well in music. I was always A's and succeeding and getting principal horn and, and doing the best I can. But it was still that struggle of never being good enough, not being beautiful, uh, not having good relationships with men and, or with with boys at the time when I was a teenager and then um you know I went into the the gay scene with my best friend who was gay I absolutely adore him he knows who he is we've been friends for 17 years and um you know we'll talk about that friendship it's it's a tough it's an awesome conversation it's a tough conversation he has been my rock I've been his rock in and out we we had to separate some time through our our life um just to you know and there's reasons why which we'll talk about but at that point, you know, it was a tough, um, by the time I went to college, I realized that I enjoyed letting loose a little too much because I had so much pressure during the week. So I would really let loose. I'd go out with the jazz musicians. I'd go party. I'd, you know, s smoke some, have fun, drink a lot, be underage, uh, broke my foot because I partied too hard. And my, uh, horn teacher was like, uh, you got to stop. And I was like, but I'm only doing weekends. He says, no, you need to be in a practice room on weekends. And I said, well, stop stalking me on Facebook. And to come to find out, there was a lot of other people that was going through that with him. <laughs> but nothing was done. The professors never did. They loved him. You know, he did no wrong in the eyes. But his horn students were struggling. And I was one of them. And with everything else, it wasn't just him, though. You have to understand, it's the past. There was a whole lot of factors going in. I'm trying to give you the fast I only have 45 minutes now. We'll get deeper and deeper each podcast. But at that point, I decided to take a summer off. Um, I was supposed to move in with my awesome roommate up in Richmond, and we were going to get a house together. And my professor, my horn professor, because in music you have band directors, you have you have a solar professor who really actually is your mentor. He literally takes you on his ring. He's like a father figure. It can be toxic because you get very close with these people. And um, and if you've ever read Mozart in the Jungle, I highly recommend reading Mozart in the Jungle because Mozart in the Jungle kind of explains the toxic in the symphony world <laughs> but there's a lot of great in the symphony world because if you don't have a family you you build a family it's literally a, like a brothers and sisterhood of musicians and they all know each other uh big or small popular or not it doesn't matter they all kind of know each other 
but it was never, I was never good enough. I was always supposed to be this big horn player. Oh, you're going to do this, do this, do this. And then I would just always fail their ex- expectations. And then I failed myself because I thought that that was there. I thought that was what I wanted. Like I, their expectations were what I was gaming for. And I realized that I need to just be me. Um, not have this big expectations. It was like, do with my biological father every time. And then my dad would come in. Oh, I don't like music. Oh, you shouldn't be doing music. You're not going to get anywhere. It's not a job for you. You know, you should go to the military. I was not a military person. Everyone who knew me, I'm pretty sure all of us would all sit there and say, yeah, no, (laughs) you would be kicked out in a week. (laughs) I was just in my head, you guys. So that in society was never good enough. I was in my head. I was a daydreamer. I would sit there and make things up. I was a hopeless romantic. Um, I just wanted to just live, just, I don't know, I guess live in the life and just be loved. And I wasn't that. It was never happening. And I looked in the wrong places. And at that point in the summertime, uh, he called my mom, my home professor, and was like, uh, you need to get her diagnosed. We're, we're probably not going to have her come back. Like, we need to get her diagnosed and uh, get her on medication. So, and of course, my mom, seeing me spiral through college, saw me partying, um, you know, she would laugh and stop, but she was concerned. And I get that to a point. But she just didn't, I don't know how to explain it, but when it comes to therapy, you know, they don't just reach in the surface, they reach deep down. And the first therapist she picked out, she was like, you're going to do this therapist. I have my own therapist. You're going to do this one. And I said, okay. So I get there and I talked to her about it and I'm talking and we're digging. And she was like, this stems from your parents. And I said, I don't know. I said, this is really probably something for me. Just no, this is your, your mom's very controlling. And I said, nah, I love my mom. She's like, no, it's, there's a difference. She's like, you love your mom, but you saying, Hey, you know, I have to think my own way. And that's with your dad and your mom, your biological dad and your mom. And then your stepdad's not really in your picture. Like he caught my stepdad's my dad, you guys, he was there more than anyone else, but he wasn't there. Like you all think he was, uh, how a dad should have been. And, um, but he was my dad. He's a very humbled guy. We'll talk about my stepdad later, but the fact is, like, like I, they all failed me. She was like, I want you to go home. I remember this, like, the back of my head. She's like, I want you to go home, um, and I want you to try to stand up to her and say, hey, you know, we need to, you know, you need to back off. I, I'm going to do dishes how I want to do dishes. And uh, my mom had this thing where she'd be like, well, this is not your house. You don't, you're going to need to move out. You're 18, which I get. I get you guys, but there's a healthier way of doing it. And I'm hopeful I'll teach you guys later on the way of how maybe to help you raise your creative child who's still at home um, and struggling. So at that point, um, I stood up to her that day and I remember she was so mad. She stormed down those stairs and she pointed at me with her finger and she was like, how dare you tell me what to do? And I was like, 
Oh, I just stirred the pot. She's like, no, it's your fault. You have the personality disorder. It's you. And she would buy all these books of be like borderline personality or bipolar. She's like, this is you. This is you. This is why you're running after men. And really, no, I was running after men because I had low self-esteem. I was not loved. <laughs> I was like loved. I was picked apart. Never good enough. I was not cared for. And to be honest, I had to love myself. It was no one else's fault but my own. I had to love myself. But as a young kid, a teenager to young adult, you just don't understand. You're still mentally growing. And really, it's up to your parents to love you. And I wasn't loved. And yes, I was in a middle class home. It was a beautiful home. Yards were perfect. We had a good income coming in. But inside, I was struggling. I was ugly inside because I did not feel loved. And to sit there and have to tell, stand up to somebody who is supposed to be a person that understands you and listens to you. Oh boy. That was, yeah, that's where it came from. And I didn't realize years later until like, you know, looking back and fixing it. But at that point we found another therapist, which ended up being her therapist. And I mind you, her therapists were so sweet. They were good people to a point. They didn't listen to me. So they took what she was going through and they kind of reflected on a me. But then on top of that, they're like, okay, we got to get you diagnosed. You must have a personality disorder. You are different than people. So take this bubble sheet, take this test on a computer screen, and we're going to diagnose you. So, of course, I came back with ADHD, anxiety, and if you guys know the diagnosis, they all kind of intertwine with each other. Like, they all kind of, um, you know, intertwine, and their diagnoses are very similar. And she diagnosed me with bipolar, borderline personality disorder, and then they put me on heavy medication. And I said, I don't think I'm borderline personality. I think I'm just who I am. And on top of that, I feel like I deal with anxiety and people that my parents have failed me. <laughs> I hate to say it that way. They fucked me up. And they sat there and they were like, no, no, it's in your DNA. Because my mom would come back and say, oh, your dad has this, 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 this. He has a personality. I said, you're a daughter of him. Or we have addiction on my family. Like, no one took responsibility for each other. But they always blamed it on their DNA. And that was come to me. And then I was just different. And at that point... I was like, okay, well, we'll just try it out. Well, I got my first medication and it was not working. So I went in again, I sat down and I said, this is not working. And they said, okay, well, we'll just, we'll change you completely. Go cold turkey. Let's get you a new one. So they got me a new one going cold turkey on the last one. And I had like seven pills and they were hefty medication. And they were like, and I remember one therapist came in because I went through like four therapists in that month. Um, after the one with my mom, we ended up, I didn't feel comfortable. So we ended up going to this other one in, in another, in another city and they still weren't listening to me. And that was when my mom kind of realized I was having an addiction because the medication was working. So I was like, I'm just going to over, I'm just going to prescribe myself. If it's not working, maybe some of the dosage. But then at that point, I was feeling worthless, worthless. Like the medication, the side effects made me feel crazy. Like I don't explain it. I was not myself. And at that point, I was just plummeting. I was plummeting completely. I knew I could not go back to school in Richmond. I knew for a fact that I was just going to have to figure this out. And uh, I told my roommate I wasn't coming back. She was mad at me. I told my professor. He was like, well, 
uh, it was kind of like, oh, well, good for you for doing that. But at the same time, it was like a disappointment of like not doing what he wanted me to do. Like, it was hard to explain. It was like, oh, well, we'll have a spot for you, but we just don't care that you have a mental problem and we just don't care about you because you were supposed to be this great horn player and we made an exception to have you in this music program. And I, so it was like just piling on me of this emotions of just being not good enough. <laughs> if I can say that over and over again, that's what the pot, this is what it came down to. And I wasn't strong enough at the time to sit there and say, no, I need to do a natural route. I need somebody that understands and can listen. So as the medication kept piling on me, I kept cycling and I decided to take like a six months off. And my dad was so mad. He was so pissed that I took six months off just to work. I've never had a real job. I, I mean, I did guest in music. I was um, teaching horn lessons, but I never had a nine to five. I never worked after college. Like high, I worked full time with music, you guys. I would practice like all the time, eight hours a day, five hours a day. I was teaching horn lessons, going to symphony concerts, going to concerts concerts, you know, performing, like I was constant going, I never had a typical like job. And I, um, yeah, I never had one. And so I got a job at a cigar shop. And um, that was like my first kind of job. And I loved it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, I had a lot of freedom on my hands. It was one medication had me lose a lot of weight. I was skinny. I was starting to get noticed. And then on top of that, the medication wasn't working, so I was overdosing. And I would fall in love with these different guys, and I was being promiscuous. Uh, and I realized that my looks could get me to places. And at that point, I just I had low self-esteem. Like, there was so much more to it. It was just so much. I don't want to explain. It's just emotionally hard to talk through. And about... Six months in, you know, everyone was off to college and stuff, and I was debating on going back, but I was like, you know, I'm going to go to TCC first. Just take one or two classes, and I did, and I took ec economics and English, and English was awesome. My teacher in English was amazing. She was so sweet, and then I took economics, and the guy was an asshole, and I was not doing good. Like, he was just a jerk, and I'm sitting there, like, high as a kite on Adderall, and uh, he just didn't care. He, he told his class that he the reason he's doing this is not to teach but to have tennis uh tennis lessons uh so he can be able to do tennis on the weekends because that's the schedule he wants he doesn't want to have a nine-to-five job he just wanted something like this and he wants to get paid for it and you can tell in his teachings like how he handled it was bad and so I would sit there and try to learn because, again, I want to learn to understand. Like, I'm not here just to learn to get an A or B, which that's what school is now. It's not about understanding and putting it into your real life. It's about passing and paying all this money to, you know, for them to have money and have their big structures and big buildings and be able to play tennis on weekends. But I would try to ask questions and he wouldn't answer it. I just didn't understand. I was, like, really confused. And I felt nothing. I felt like lower than, you know, lower than lower than nothing. So I took after that. I almost failed. 
I took psychology and I passed with flying colors and my psychologist was awesome at the community college. And he was like, you know, you really should get into psychology. He's like, you're going through something right now. I can tell with your writing and your journals. And I said, yeah, I can't talk about it. I said, I'm just going, I'm not doing so good. I'm literally on every medication in the books and I'm not, you know, it's not doing so good. And um, I'm failing. I, I, you know, I'm failing school. I'm failing, you know, music. I want to play French horn. I want to be a performer, but everyone wants me to be a teacher and I don't want to teach. I want to perform. I know that if I focus on performance, I'll do it good. I will do it right and I'll probably succeed. But everyone wants me to sit there and be something I'm not. And they want me to sit there and say, oh, you're not going to get a job. You're not going to get paid well. And all I want is just a certificate that says performance of horn. And I want to hang it on my wall. That's all I want. And no one's listening to me. All they want me to do music education because, you know, music teacher, you know, world needs music teachers. Well, I'm not wanting to be in a dead end job as a music teacher. I want to perform. And if you guys aren't giving me like I have to do it myself, but I don't know how to do it myself. And he was like, well, maybe step back and, you know, try to try to enjoy the community college route. And it was it was wonderful. It was nice. And at that time, you know, my stepsister, who I haven't seen at all, I've never met her, started talking to me. But to come to find out, she was talking to me to get a hold of my biological father for money. <laughs> oh, so at that point, I just felt like scum. And my dad came back and he was like, OK, I want you to go to physical school. Um, and I go, I'm going to do music, dad. You can't force me to do anything else. And he goes, well, I'll pay for your schooling. And I said, okay. And then he paid, he goes, you got to get a A plus and everything. B plus or A, that's it. And I was like, I'm an average student. Do you know who you're talking to? Like, I'm not good at the books. Tests gives me anxiety. He's like, well, you're getting mental health stuff. Like I asked you to when you were little. And I said, yes, but I, I'm telling you that I'm still struggling with the test, with bubble sheets, with questions, because A, B, and C, I, I second guess myself. Typically, the first one's always right, but I second guess myself, and I'm struggling. And at that point, I was in and out of dates. I was like, trying to like I was just trying to find love anywhere I could get is if it was what I'm trying to say and we finally found a, a therapist mom switched therapists again so I ended up going with her therapist again and um the therapist had this psychiatrist who was a man and he had an ego the size of Texas and this is where things really kind of took the wrong turn where he was not listening <laughs> at all he would come in and say, okay, uh, the, the doctor rep came in, gave me some new drugs. I want you to try them. And at that point, I knew that I was not getting help by like the fifth therapist. I was not getting help. No one was listening to me. And I knew for a fact that I'm just going to be a guinea pig and just give me the, give me the meds. Just give them to me because I like how they make me feel and I am done feeling worthless. I'm just going to feel numb and just live through life. So I tried to re-audition for Richmond and we kind of came to the conclusion that it was just not the right fit because I was not part of the cool kids table. And then I went to OD, I went to Norfolk school, which I absolutely adored. I love my professors there. Um, one of them who sadly passed away looked at me and he says, Katie, you're just going through a lot. And I said, yeah, I am. I said, maybe one day I'll make people happy. 
but I knew he, he was one of the ones that listened to me. Um, my horn instructor, I absolutely adored. I loved her pieces, but she had her moments too. You know, like I, I loved wearing high heels. I was taught to wear high heels. I was taught to dress for performances, to appreciate the music. Um, you know, and I was just out there. I was just different. And uh, yeah, it was just different. I was still not good enough. And so at that point, you know, I was struggling. I got married quick. Uh, I still was on heavy medication. I uh, ended up an inpatient because I overdosed. And the psychiatrist that was part of my mom's therapist threatened to take me to jail because I overdosed on his meds because he could get in trouble for his license. And even though he was the one that wasn't listening or like putting like he was just giving me whatever was coming in the door. And I was like, fine, I'll go. And I remember sitting with my mom. My mom was like petrified. She was so embarrassed. And I was like, what do you want me to tell you? I said, You're, no one's listening to me. And so that was when uh, my ex-husband started love bombing me. Like he would show up every day the window and wave to me. And he's like, I love you. And you're so unique. And I just fell for it. I fell for it quick. And so we're going to stick. Like I said, there's a lot more to the story. There's a lot of time. We're talking about like. 35, like, well, I, I stopped taking medication officially when I got pregnant with Oliver in 20, uh, 2013. Uh, well, 2012 is what I'm really proud of myself. And we're going to talk about that, how long it took for me to get off stuff and where I'm clean now because it's 10 minutes left. But come, rushed forward a couple years later, you know, I was married for six years. I found a therapist who was a Buddhist, who does natural ways. And I, the first therapist in the same building, this side note, the first therapist in the same building, she went through a divorce. So like I would come in and she would talk to me about her problems. <laughs> it was about her, like every therapist, it was about her and her marriage. Like it was nothing to do with me. And it's, I'm an amiable person, so it's hard for me to sit there and say, um, this is what I shouldn't be paying for this. And she was still there. She's one of like their best children, psychologist, psychiatrist or therapist. And I don't know how she still has a license. And so I asked politely on the back end because I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. I was like, I don't even know what to say. So I ended up asking the people, I was like, can you find me another therapist? And they ended up finding mine, uh, who I've been with ever since. And he was like, he practiced Buddhist ways. He was a dreamer. So he was part of like the dream crowd. Like there's people that study dreams and what they mean. And he just wouldn't, I don't know. He was the most, I make tears on eyes. Like if I could sit there and see him again, I would say, thank you. Because he was with me through the whole, like, at the end of the marriage and stuff. But he stood up for me. He was like, Katie, we got to hear your voice. What do you love to do? How do you feel? Is this medication doing okay? And it's funny because we took like tests again, you know, every, I took tests like 20 times during the span of 19 to like 24. And, um, I, <laughs> every single test was a different personality issue where they pile on meds for me and drugs. And, um, when I got to him, I took a test and he was like, boy, they messed you up. <laughs> I was like, yeah, can I take back my, can I get back my 21st birthday? Can I get back like all those years that I missed from 18 to like 25? Can I get it back? And he was like, well, we're going to try to get you back. And, um, he put me on a different medication for ADHD, which helped a lot. As I was going to school, I was 
uh, going to school, but he also put me on different medication. Uh, he took me off all the mood personality medications. Like he took them all off of me. Um, he worked with my psychiatrist, which was wonderful. My psychiatrist was Greek and she was the sweetest lady. And she knew too, with the tests and stuff that I just had ADHD and anxiety and like major parental and self-esteem issues. It wasn't a personality issue. It was really just me going through what I went through of not being good enough. And so we focused on how to focus on me. We focused on how to number one, focus, <laughs> number two to how to sit there and feel well about like good about yourself like look in your mirror um you know how deflect people because people like to reflect on that on your you all the time like a lot of people have issues with themselves and they reflect their insecurities back on you and sadly I was part of that brunt and so I learned to deflect. I learned to sit there and say, I like this. This is me. Not, oh, well, this is why my professor likes it. I realize now it's, this is what I like, and this is what I'm going to do, and how I'm going to do it. And it, that's the hardest, you guys. That was the hardest for me to sit there and say, it's not what my mom wants. It's not what my dad wants. It's not what my family wants or my teachers or people around me. It's what I want. And at that point, I knew that we were going somewhere, that we were trying to overcome. Now, once I got pregnant, I realized that I couldn't be on medication. Like the stories of Vyvanse and how people lose their like mental thinking process on Vyvanse was something, and I'll go over medication in the next podcast, like the ones I was on, and we'll go over the side effects and stuff. But like my brain, I'll explain it, but my thought process even went down even more. Like I had to slowly think over things and have to read multiple times over. Like it was worse than it was before I was on all these medications back when I was like 18 and 17. So to sit there is all I'm saying is as we come to this end of this podcast, because a lot at once, but Number one, feel good about yourself. Know that you are you and learn how to say no. Learn to sit there and say, that's not me. I don't want to do this. And it's hard when you're young. It's hard when you're a young adult, when you're a teenager, when you're young, because you're still under the influence of your own parents, which you should be. Your parents are there to help you and love you. Now, mind you, a lot of them can be toxic. They have things that they're recovering from as well. And that's a hard thing to talk about. Um, you know, I always feel like every things interlocking we all kind of connected in different ways even outside of the box different ways that you may ever thought you were connected with and it's a hard conversation to have and so I pray, you know, when if you go through medical field, my I'm always here to help. I'm always here to listen and sit and try to give you a different viewpoint. Even though I'm not like medically licensed, I believe that what like my therapist told me, what I have been through, it it gives me enough. Like when I ended my therapist, he was like, I need to sign over your diploma. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, you can be a therapist now. And I said, well, you know, that's why I went to school. I ended up changing my major to BA in music and a minor in psychology. You know, I, I realized that there was more to our mental health systems. But the only thing I can say is they just don't listen to you. They don't care. It's a money making. And especially if you don't have the support you need. Like we always need a village. I, I don't explain it to people, but a village is important. But who you let into your village is important too. Like I keep my door open to everyone. 
human. I always say that we're human. And yes, toxic individuals are out there. And it's hard, especially if it's your family. Most of your toxic people are your family. And it's hard to sit there and say, okay, this is not safe for me to be around. But there's still going to be a cookout. So how do I handle this? How do I handle stuff that comes my way? Uh, because cutting it out is just not as, maybe your peace of mind will be better, but you're also going to miss moments. You're going to feel neglected. You're also not going to have a peace of mind. The only thing we can find pieces is how we handle ourselves and keep our own boundaries. We know when to say no. And it's hard as an amiable. It's hard as a person that's a people pleaser or ex-people pleaser. And it's hard as somebody that feels self-worth um, or lack of self-worth. And, you know, I catch myself still being 35 going, oh, I need to stop that. I'm going to become a toxic person because I'm a people pleaser. I am not about them. You know, I'm not I'm not in the wrong. I'm not in trouble, Katie. It's going to be OK. You're feeling things that you shouldn't be feeling. Um, you know, it's a tough conversation to have because it's it is. But medication, um, when it's done in the wrong hands, which sadly is a lot of physicians out there, they're just not listening to their patients. And yes, I went to inpatient, but it still didn't help. Like the inpatient place was a load of crap. Um, you know, my, my physician was a Christian physician, right, psychiatrist, and she put me on the major, the biggest medication. She was one that like diagnosed, like she diagnosed me wrong completely. And she put me on the wrong meds that really messed me up. And like, it's hard to talk about that. It's hard to go over that with, with everybody. And we're going to go in depth even more. But at least this is a good introduction to how to sit there and say, hey, you know, the pharmaceutical companies need to work a little bit better on themselves. But it's up to us. It's up to us to do better. And our past is a lot. Like, there's things that I blank out now. There's stuff that I still don't. I have to pause and really think about stuff. And there's things that I will never remember just because of trauma. And during that time between 19 or like end of 18 and 19 all the way to about, I say, 20, 22, 23, when I, before I met my therapist, who was my therapist until Oliver was uh, three or four, because he has Parkinson's disease, he had to retire. Um, you know, it was, it was a tough conversation to sit there and say, you know, boy, I really was fucked up because of this. But it, at the same time, it's up to me to make that difference. Okay, yes, I was given a whole bunch of shit, but it's up to me to sit there and say, okay, how do I do this better? And then your faith as well. What does Jesus or what does you know, God or whoever you believe in want me to learn from this? This is something that I want to learn and do better. For me to stop the toxic wheel, for me to do better for my child, for me to sit there and say, okay, I don't want this to reflect because, again, parents are recovering from their own stuff. How do we do better as a parent to do better? And that's what we're going to talk about because I make sure that it doesn't reflect my past, my goal. When I feel like I'm backtracking, I have to look at myself first and sit there and say, okay, I need to be healthier for my son. Like, I want my son to grow up in a healthy household for him to raise his children healthy. I would never want him to sit there and not feel self-worth. I want him to feel loved and cared for and know that he has a fighting parent in his corner and that he is important. And he shouldn't have to be, yes, we have stress. Yes, we have expectations. But it shouldn't be at the cost of being toxic of each other. And I'm not going to pile a whole bunch of medication on you because that's not just who I am. Because the pharma school field does not 
not listen to all of us. And maybe at the time when he's ready for it, then at that point, yes, we can find a really cool therapist that's going to listen to him um, for the healthy of things. You know, it's there's this, I don't know, explain it. And there's a lot more to it. Thanks for guys listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, there's a whole lot more topic on this. Have a good night.